wanted to um, record this a little bit on a, a live presentation. I had a, a message from Keenan up in Canada, and he uh, he always has some good good uh, comments back and forth, and we've had some discussions on different training things, and a super nice guy. But uh, one thing he had he had a question about. He said, uh, "Do you ever think about doing a video or?" Uh, a section on some experimental features on chainsaws like uh, that have come and gone and uh, the QS quick stop on the steels. And, and I think what he's talking about is the quick stop plus and then the Husky trio break. Um, and uh, he said, I'd love to hear your experiences with these. And that's a, that's a couple of things that brings up kind of a unique, unique conversation. Um, I've I've messed with with both of those uh, a little bit over the years. I had uh, I had two three sixty twos. First time I saw that the the actual quick stop plus, which what what that is. Let me see if I can if I can get this uh, this picture up here. It uh yeah, got him. Um the um the the brake the brake system is uh get another folder going here. The brake, the brake system for Husqvarna, they, they call the TRIO. Well, doggone it, let's see where. I had some the pictures. All right, well, let me. Let me pull them up there. Let me turn the stacks off. Yeah, that should work. It, um, well, try it.
Maybe it's it's sharing. Pull these down here. Hopefully, hopefully you can you can see these. Um, the the trio brake was on a couple different models. This picture here showing the 550. I think I had it on a on a 350, and it's a brake system that comes above the rear handle and ties into the front chain brake uh, arm. And if there is a kickback or quick rotation, your wrist hits in this upper area here, it triggers all the way back to the front. And so uh, uh, Keenan was saying that it's, it's getting hard to find. I, I know they're, they're, still, they're still available in Europe. And uh, the one that I had, uh, a friend of mine has got it. But it, uh, it was a little bit awkward to me. There's probably been some revisions since then, but it, a little bit uh, awkward to me how it how it actually hit on my wrist, and so uh, I I didn't I didn't uh, get too in, involved with it. Uh, but you can see the 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 chain brake handle that most people think about like on the these steels and where i saw it first was a, a 361 that the forest service had uh at one of the trainings that i did with them and and um it had this this rear handle on here that that when you depressed it the brake came off and and you ran the saw if you took your hand off of the back handle then it it uh, released the brake and and the chain stopped, and I I said that's pretty cool. So I I uh, I bought uh, one of them, used it. I don't know, probably about eight months, and I had a perfect score in the training. So I awarded that saw, and then I I bought another one, and it both of them worked worked very well, and I I thought it was it was very good, especially for new operators. Um, it, it was pretty pretty hard for them to lose control of the saw and not have the chain brake engage, and so that that worked out really good. Second one I had for I don't know probably close to a year, and had another perfect score and and on it. So it, it worked. Either you could apply it with the front brake handle, or uh, you take your hand off the back handle and it would go and and engage the brake. So it's pretty pretty cool how how it worked. And so um, Keenan was was asking about those two. I, I think I, I still see some cities and towns um, with the the 362s uh, with those. And so it uh, it's still, I think, available in some parts, probably since COVID, things got kind of slowed down a good bit. But um, as far as availability, but they they are out there. And it's pretty pretty cool model, but that's uh, it's it's kind of neat when you when you start to think about those kinds of things that 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 came about. Uh, luckily, as I, as I mentioned to Keenan, that the 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 uh, inertia activated chain brakes. Luckily, they stuck. They're out there on just about every saw out there now on new models and things. Everybody's kind of started producing those. And so it doesn't, your hand or forearm doesn't have to, to hit the, the chain brake arm 
it, just the inertia of the kick itself actually triggers triggers the brake, and so quite quite a um, a safety feature. And it really, you know, the the first ones were a little bit, um, I guess, uh, kind of primitive. Uh, um, uh, Steel actually had one of the first mechanical versions of it that that worked with the declutching system, and then they they uh, came up with uh, one that that was more or less manual, and then they had later uh, an option for inertia. And then by 1981, 82, I think something like that. Most, most all of them were uh, standard features on on all the steels. Husqvarna had a um, an inertia activated brake, but it was it was adjustable. It was kind of like an assembly off of the handle, uh, an adjustable wheel that would come up against it. So if it did kick hard enough, it actually would trigger the brake on, but. Um, then later on on steel and Husqvarna and other units, um, it's an eccentric setup that that works off of a weighted the weighted system of the handle, and then triggers the eccentric and and stops the chain brake around the drive sprocket drum. So it's a it's pretty pretty cool how that works. It, it, it's great that that those things stuck. Um, also, the anti vibration systems. Uh, a lot has has happened in those over the years. A lot of a lot of testing that that went into different applications on saws as well as trimmers, and the AV systems today are 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 really great. They they've reduced quite a lot of fatigue factor to the operators and uh, loss of blood flow to hands and those kinds of things because of vibration. The AV systems are are really cool. One thing that um, I, I came about uh, years ago that kind of stuck on the features is uh, uh, a site uh, for seeing how much fuel that you have in the in the tanks. You know, you had uh, back, I guess, when trimmers really started and, and blowers started with the the polymer tanks. You know, that were attachments. They were all kind of a milky white color, or they were a, a harder polymer that had been uh, uh, more or less uh, had a white pigment into it. And uh, I was I was working uh, with uh, Joseph Weber, uh, the power tools um, manager from Germany, with steel, and we were doing some testing. Uh, we were out at uh, San Diego uh, Park. Uh, in the animal park, and then and uh, uh, working with a couple large contractors out around San Diego that uh, was using some test blowers and all, and really had not seen anything in a in an opaque tank uh, where you could see the the fuel levels until then. Just about any any manufacturer, everything was always colored. And uh, we had uh, uh, the blowers out testing, and and there was a uh, a young Hispanic guy that was with one of the lawn services out in San Diego. It was a big lawn service, and we were asking them about some different things. And Joseph, he he spoke about six different languages, and um, 
I was sitting there trying to catch back and forth of it. But anyway, this young fella, he said, uh, it would be great if you could see how much fuel that you have in the tank. And, uh, and Joseph said, yeah, that would be great. He said, well, just why don't you take the pigment out of the polymer? And, uh, and Joseph, he, he kind of started to hesitate there a minute. And, and he said, what do you mean? He said, well, the, the, the polymers are, are pretty clear. They're opaque uh, as you make the, the plastic. He worked in the, uh, I think it was the Chrysler or Ford plant in Mexico. And, uh, and he knew about the plastics. And so uh, uh, he said, take the pigment out. So Joseph went back and, and wrote it up. They started testing it. Um, they sent me a couple units to to send back out there, and it was it was quite interesting that it, they just had a small spot that they uh, somehow kept the polymer out of the plastic, and then uh, later you start to see the the pigments become lighter and lighter, uh, so that you could see the the volume of fuel in the in the tanks, and that that came about from a. Uh, a little guy in the San Diego area of California back in, I guess it was probably uh, 1988, uh, 89, somewhere through there. But another one that, that uh, kind of stuck that uh, has, has started to come about in a lot of units is uh, the uh, retained bar nuts. And still a lot of saws don't have them, but uh, a lot of your newer units with steel and Husqvarna, they have a way of retaining the bar nuts. And that was, that was one thing that I, uh, I had a lot of comments about, you know, the guys uh, was the cost of the nuts. If you bought the original equipment, you know, from the dealers. And I had uh, a service meeting in, in uh, Virginia Beach and uh, we uh, were talking about the the bar nuts and they had asked from engineering to to look at some different uh, different concepts of, or ideas that people were asking about on the saws and so we wrote it up as far as retained bar nuts we got a, a message back says uh, says uh, we sell nuts <laughs> and and uh, we all laughed about it and that was, they were kind of kidding about it also. But I found out that the reason why the nuts were as they were and reason why they were expensive on certain models is because the, the, they had a program, an apprenticeship program that uh, they had students from around Stuttgart that came in and they made the scrunches, the bar wrenches and the nuts for the chainsaws. And that was, that was their projects and how they, how they kept those things uh, 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 ready for the, the saw assemblies and, and uh, for parts. And so they, uh, the students had those, those things. So that was a, that was a special program that they had in, in their apprenticeship program with the students to, to uh, keep that, that program going. It funded, funded that thing. But then uh, later on, they, they came out with them. And, and I guess the, that program is still building them, except they're retainable nuts now. So it's pretty cool. Another one that, that uh, it's still, you see it up in the Canada and uh, in, in Europe, but it's something that, that, uh, came about back in the, I guess, the middle 70s. 
and that was uh, heated handlebars. And I've had three or four of those saws. They're really nice to use during the winter. A little bit harder to find in the States, but uh, there's still some that, that float around on some of the models. But it's uh, a electric driven uh, heat tape that's in the, the front and the back handle that they, they, uh, they energize it with a, uh, a magnet system on the flywheel. And so it, it produces enough voltage to, to heat these power strips and they, they heat the handles, makes it really, really nice in cold weather operation. And they had them on the wrap handles also um, that they were producing some, but it didn't, didn't take over too much. They were, they were kind of expensive addition, uh, but uh, a few people paid the price and, and uh, went with the, the heated handles. The wrap handles are another thing that, that came about from comments from, from uh, cutters in the woods and tree care. And uh, you go to the West Coast and it's, it's pretty much every, every saw's wrap handles instead of flush cut. But I just got to thinking about those things. I made, made some notes on, on those things that, uh, uh, you know, Keenan kind of started the, the conversation there. But there's a lot of things that that came about from input from the field that uh, some of them stuck and some of them got a little bit sometimes over-engineered and the, the marketplace didn't accept them very well. But luckily, a few of those things has has worked well, as well as as personal protective gear when it comes to safety with the operators. So anyway, just some just some thoughts I wanted to to uh, put out there and answer his his questions. We're gonna have um, we're gonna have Thursday night saws this coming Thursday night at at eight o'clock. So if you're hanging out, you can uh, drop in. We'll be answering questions and things about um, chainsaw operations and and applications and and different concepts. So so uh, we've got uh, several people started hanging out with us and and a lot of people look at it from the uh, recorded sessions so it's kind of kind of cool and uh, let's see if i've got uh, got anything in the in the comments here 902 hand, it says I've got a 372 XPG and the heated handle is sweet in the wintertime. Yes, they are. And, the, you know, the the main thing that, that they they came out with those four to begin with uh, back in the in the 50s and 60s on on chainsaws and and some other equipment too, vibration injuries uh, to the hands and forearms were were pretty high before anti-vibration systems and one of the things that they they really came out with those things for was was not as much to fight the the cold weather as it was to actually have uh, heated handles to to keep the circulation going in the hands whether it's hot or cold and so you could uh, turn those on and off and regulate uh, the blood flow, making sure that to, the vibration didn't cut out the blood flow to your hands and all. So quite, uh, quite interesting how those things got, um, got started. So pretty cool. 
Oh, now see here on on Facebook. Got uh, Pete Spimar, Luke Hunter, and three other people. John Shaven, hey, how are you? I'm doing uh, I'm doing doing pretty well. Um, I go tomorrow. I've got surgery on on my arm, taking off some uh, skin cancers, and um, I started last week. I've gone through six of uh, 33 um, uh, radiation treatments and a little bit of laser work. So uh, we're, we're doing that. And so that's, uh, that's going pretty good. Uh, they're working on my, my face with that. So hopefully it helps out before too long, but that's, uh, I'm, I'm feeling, feeling pretty good. I've lost uh, a lot of weight and, uh, but it's, uh, I guess I, I maybe needed to do that anyway, a little bit. But uh, the uh, colon cancer, they, you know, they did, I went through the surgery here a few weeks ago and they took the tumor out and uh, resectioned everything, which that's the second time on my colon. So I was getting a little bit short. So it makes it, makes it hard to, uh, to even consider travel and those kinds of things right now, and especially till I finish this radiation treatments, which would be close to the first of the year. Um, before I can get back out and about. Got a little trip planned with our uh, our uh, legacy trainers for uh, a week before uh, Christmas. We're gonna uh, be meeting up in, uh, in Virginia. So got a little special thing going on there, but I'm planning on getting up that way. But everything else is, is, uh, is looking pretty good. And one thing, if you, if you are interested, uh, started, setting up for another legacy program which will start uh, deadline on the registration is the the 10th of january and then we'll be starting it up uh, there will be 12 weeks of uh, zoom sessions that will be starting up on the the 26th of uh, 23rd of january and uh, i think that that's right let's see here again i, I put a, a video kind of explanation up on it. Yeah, 20, 23rd of, of January. So um, that'll be the first uh, Tuesday night session of that. So but thanks for asking, John. I appreciate uh, appreciate you asking and and um, but I'm 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 doing pretty good. Life is good right now. So we're we're happy to to be around. There's still still several on. So, have any other questions or anything? If not, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of take this off. I'll put this back up on the on recorded session on the on the YouTube site, and so it'll hang out there for for a few weeks. But anyway, oh, uh, one other thing too. If you if you are interested or know of somebody interested, I'll be putting out another uh, uh, video on it here pretty quick. But I have set the dates. Um, we'll be doing a, another storm sawing workshop in the Rome, Georgia area. It's going to be in Kingston at Breeding Farms, and we'll be uh, 
doing that April the 2nd through the 4th. So that'll be uh, the first first week of, of April. That will be our, our first storm sign workshop we've had in a couple of years. So um, and we had one, the last one that, that, that we had was the, um, I guess uh, 2021, 20, 2021, I think. So it's been a couple of years. And uh, that's a three-day hands-on program. And we've got a good cutting site to be able to, to work with that. And then uh, we're probably going to plan a, a, another one's going to be in Virginia. Uh, we've got a good site located up there. And so we're, we're probably going to be having one uh, in uh, middle of the summer or, or late summer. And uh, Chris Childs is probably going to be handling that one. I may be there. But uh, Chris Childs will probably be handling that one, and uh, so it's quite, quite, uh, quite a good thing. Looking forward to that. I see cotton tops on, and uh, Tim's super nice guy. He, if you haven't seen it, he just put together an excellent presentation on uh, segments and wedging. You need to take a look at that, and. Uh, he mentioned about captive bar nuts for the wind, and those those do make a big difference, especially up in the tree, don't they, Tim? But uh, may get uh, may get him working on another uh, training workshop with us before long. So we were talking about it two or three weeks ago, and uh, he does such a great job with instruction, and and so uh, we'll try to try to get something set up with him, either over this way or over that way one. But uh, it's been a it's been a good uh, good week. I, I got a little bit, um, I guess you'd say, bent out of shape first week on a on a video, which it, it had a lot of good comments on it. And that, that, it's not Tim; it was uh, it was um, uh, guilty of treason. Latest video he put out on on chainsaw. A few things on there that that uh, new operators need to be very careful of. And that's, that's stuff like, uh, uh, you know, mixing gas and the oil to thin it and, and thinking about things like that. And, and, you know, he had some great things on there and reactive forces and talking about PPE and how important that is. Although he still hasn't got uh, uh, too well at using safety glasses and those kinds of things, but it's, it's something that, um, uh, uh, more and more as, as especially the, the, the large YouTube accounts is, is making sure that you really watch safety on this stuff because when people watch it and, and you've got so many subscribers, they, they look at it as, yeah, I want to do that. And uh, if you don't use it, you don't need it, you know, then uh, because professional, it's not being professional. You know, and and it's it's something that professionals want to take care of themselves so they can continue making money, and so that's that's the deal there. We need to make sure that everybody's pushing everything of safety and and all. And I was I watched a a video that August Honecky had put together out of Canada uh, yesterday or this morning, and uh, excellent on speed lining and and working and had his face screened down the whole time. And, and uh, he, uh, 
had, uh, you know, tying in safety and production together. And that's, that's really what happens when you plan it out. If you, if you watch cotton top work and you, you'll see what I'm talking about, every movement is, is planned and watching the safety. And, um, you know, that was, it was amazing to me to watch August on that one this morning. And he, he has a lot of good ideas also. And a super nice guy seemed like, and I know Tim is, so, you know, but it's, uh, it's something that uh, we've got to, got to watch no matter whether you're managing people in a business or, or you're out doing something with your next door neighbor, you want to make sure that you're planning things out and you are uh, taking every precaution that you can with the best equipment that you can do and make sure you're applying the right tools. And that's, that's what it's all about because I can tell you folks, life's too short. Life's way, way too short, uh, you know, to, to get hurt out there with a chainsaw and trees. It just, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't make, make sense to, uh, cut corners. And, and especially when you're, you're trying to, you know, help the neighbors and help the people out. And so you want to make sure that, uh, that you think through that stuff. That's being professional and, 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 and just a good leader. Well, I'm going to check out of here and uh, appreciate all of you dropping by and uh, check one more time here on these comments. But hey, Tim Pouncey, how you doing? Brian Ellis. Yeah, it is an unplanned event. That accident is an unplanned event. Well, I'm going to head out and uh, hopefully you guys drop by Thursday night. We've got the topic we're going to work on and uh, we, we're looking at, at some things on uh, hunter safety. Uh, and chainsaws. <laughs> it was a, a topic that was asked uh, of me uh, a couple months ago, and I've been working on it for uh, a while. It's, it's kind of interesting. And so we're going to talk about some different things of, of hunter safety and chainsaws. So y'all uh, hey, y'all have a great one, and uh, hope to see you along the Forest Staffs Road before long, and, and if nothing else, uh, good song to you. So take it easy out there.